Let's turn to page number 17. Page number 17. A mighty fortress is our God. Let's sing all verses as we begin together this morning. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark Yeah. 
used to, but if you'll look at the words right there, there's a whole lot of truth right there, amen. And sure thankful that Christ is on our side, amen, and what a blessing. Well, sure glad you're here uh, this morning and want to welcome you to our morning services here at Faith Baptist Church and thankful. Good to have uh, missionary Joel Scuffham and his wife Valerie with us and and uh, their daughter uh, Lydia that's back there in the nursery, And but sure thankful, had a great uh, Sunday school time and presentation and, and lesson, looking forward to hearing him uh, tonight, but this morning you're stuck with me, all right? And so I'll make it easy. I'll only preach for a couple of hours. Amen. And uh, look, oh, come on now. All right. Well, uh, sure thankful uh, that you're here. I do want to mention a couple of things. Uh, of course, our fall revival be starting uh, next week. And so continue to pray for Brother Ted uh, Alexander. This week we're fasting from TV and entertainment. And so looking forward to just turning those things off. It's good to get the voices of this world turned off so that we can hear the voice of God. Amen. And sure, thankful for that. And so do encourage you to continue to fast and pray uh, for the meeting. And uh, we do have some sign-up sheets and things like that out there if you're willing to and able to help us out with some of those uh, things. Did also want to mention congratulations to Lawrence and Mayuko Settles on the birth of their uh, baby girl uh, this morning about 1 o'clock. Uh, got a text and sure thankful that mom and baby are doing good and boy she is a doll uh, if you get a chance to see her and sure excited uh, for them I'm not excited that his Tennessee Vols beat my Florida Gators but I'll, I'll cut him a pass since he had a baby girl all right uh, but then also I uh, wanted to mention those of you that had been praying uh, sure appreciate you praying for our trip to Indianapolis and we were able to see our missionaries to Japan get approved by the GIBM board and able to present them there at the meeting and sure thankful uh, for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, ask God's blessing on our services. We need him uh, this morning and sure looking forward to what God uh, has for us. I'm going to ask my friend, Brother Jim Wisdom, if you'd pray for us this morning. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd remain standing. Let's turn to page 213. Page number 213. Holy, holy, holy. We'll sing all verses this morning. Page number 213. Sing it out with us on the first verse. Holy, 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 Lord God
page 286. Page number 286, saved by the blood. There is no other way for man to be saved but through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing it out. Page 286. Saved by the blood of the
page 286 if you lost that page let's sing it out on that last verse saved by the blood i'll hail the power to the father saved by the blood of the crucified one all hail to the father all hail to the son all hail to the spirit by the blood. Say amen this morning. Praise the Lord. Great singing. Brother Tim. The men come for the offering. I'd like to read to you from Psalm 95 and verse 1. He says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Which brings us to verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Brother Jack Parker, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated.
don't know the name of that song, the song is As the Deer. It's in your hymn book, page 348. The chorus of that song says, You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone does my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. David said in Psalm 42, 8, By day the Lord directs his love, and at night his song is with me. Hope the Lord's directing your way. Let's all stand together and turn to page 693. Page 693. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. There is coming a day. He's coming back soon. Amen. Let's sing it out together. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky. No more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no pain, and no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. I think we need to sing the last verse again. Look, we've got to understand this morning, (laughs) when you get to heaven, what a day that's really going to be. And, and like Pastor always says, it's only for eternity, so let's not get too excited about it this morning. I don't know if you're struggling with allergies like I am or what's going on, but I feel like we're a little asleep this morning. We need to look at that last verse again. There's going to be no sorrow there. None. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. That'll be great. No more pain. No more parting. All the loved ones that are saved that have gone on before, they're going to be there. No more parting ever again. All these things we get to enjoy. Let's smile and sing about it this morning from our hearts, all right? Let's sing it out. Let's go a cappella on that chorus and just let the voices of God's people ring out this morning. Sing it on that second verse. There'll be no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no pain. No more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who 
for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. Come on, lift it up this morning now. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Somebody say amen this morning. Praise the Lord. Great singing. You may be seated. Just before Pastor comes to preach this morning, Brother Tim and Miss Anna Quinlan are going to come sing. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure That he should give his only son To make a wretch his treasure How great the pain of searing love The Father turns his face away As wounds which mark the chosen one Bring many sons to glory
Man, what a blessing. Boy, sure thankful for our Savior. Amen. Good stuff. Mercy. Well, let's all stand in honor of God's Word if you're able to stand. And I know that um, we've been preaching through the book of Romans and um, actually was scheduled to be in chapter number four this morning. But so if you already turned there, you can hang your little dangly thing in there and mark your place. And we'll be back there in a couple of weeks. Um, just feel like as a pastor that when your church, you're going into revival that, well, we ought to be prepared. Amen. I think it's a scary thing when the man of God that's going to be preaching a revival walks in and people don't recognize who he is and, oh, we're having a revival this week? Had no idea. No, I, I think we ought to be ready. And i uh, been reading through the book of Jeremiah and uh, just kind of feel like this is where the Lord would have us to be this morning and Kind of ironic that when you come in and the guest missionary does a lesson and kind of really ties right into where you're going to be at. And then some of the music and special music uh, just kind of ties right in. Amazing how the Lord works all those things out. Amen. So Jeremiah in chapter number 2 this morning. Jeremiah in chapter number 2. And this is where we're going to be at this morning. And, and I just, I love this passage of Scripture. And, and I, I know I've preached through this before. Uh, several years ago, uh, but I, if anything this morning, and you think, man, I remember that message, and I'm okay, well, I'm preaching to me, so it doesn't really matter if you've heard it, you remember it, amen, and, uh, but I think that if I, I would venture to say that if I need it, we all need it this morning, and so Jeremiah in chapter number two, and, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, and the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. And Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the first fruits of his increase, and all, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. But notice in verse number four, he says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord. What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? If you want to know that, that's really a rhetorical question because there is no sin with our God. He goes on and says this, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through the through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and 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 of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. Well, if you don't see America in that, mercy. Notice in verse number 8, the priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the things that do not profit. And notice in verse 9, and I don't think that I will ever get over this. He says, wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord. 
Boy, if you don't get that God loves you this morning, I, I think you're missing that one. That He will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and, and, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can handle, that can hold rather no water. We'll stop reading right there. I, I, if you go back to chapter number one, and we, we'll just look at some things here in just a moment, but you'll see really what I, what I would see is the calling of, of Jeremiah to be the prophet of Israel. God, God knew him before he was formed in the womb. Amen. And just amazing there, that, that great scene. And, and it's during his calling that God begins to show Jeremiah his plan that Babylon, the kingdom from the north, would come and destroy Jerusalem and take Judah into captivity for their sin. And so this is why chapter 2 begins with, with moreover, and then the instruction for Jeremiah to go and cry in the ears of, of Jerusalem. It's because Jeremiah was sent to preach the word of God to Judah and Jerusalem in an attempt to call God's people back to God. That's what he, what's what he was called to do. So here's what I titled the message this morning because really that's the idea of the text. I would say to you it's a cry for revival. It's really what it is. God's people need, need to turn back to God. And I would say to you that in 2022, God's people need to turn back to God. Father, would you bless the preaching now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I'd venture to say that probably most of us here this morning, especially if you drive or have ever driven, then most likely you've made a U-turn. I'll be a fact, I want to confess my sin before the people this morning. That I did, I missed a, we, we were, uh, earlier this week, we were getting ready to leave uh, Indianapolis and came out of the hotel and got there on the highway and we're getting ready to get on the interstate and as we turned out, I just, I didn't really even read the sign, I didn't even pay attention, I just went right through and then I thought, wait a minute, I'm supposed to turn right there and we went down to the next red light. Now we got to the next red light and it said you couldn't make a U-turn and I wanted to make a U-turn but the pastor's wife was with me kept me straight. I went to the next uh, turn and made a, made a legal U-turn. Didn't want to confess that. And then we got back where we needed to be. But that, that's the purpose of a U-turn, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's always, almost always done with the intent that to, to, to put you going in the correct direction or, or, or to get you where you needed to be if you've gotten off course. What, what I'm trying to illustrate to you this morning is that Israel in our text needed to make a spiritual U-turn. They, they had gotten off course. They were headed in the wrong direction. And the only thing that would correct where they were headed was a spiritual U-turn of, of repentance and revival uh, in God. I, I want you to go back with me, if you would, to chapter number 1 there. and Look at verses 1 through 3. It says that, 
that the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, uh, king of Judah, and in the thirteenth year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. And, and so really the reason I wanted you to see that is because that gives us the, the time frame of Jeremiah's ministry, but it can also help us to maybe understand, if you will, the context and the background of what is taking place in our text. As already mentioned, Jeremiah was called to take the Word of God to the people of God during the reigns of Josiah and then Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, all three kings of, of Judah. And you and I, probably many of us here this morning, we would understand that Josiah, no doubt, was a good king. Well, come on, listen, the Bible says that, that as he began to reign, he was just eight years old, but it also says this, that he chose to do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And, and under the leadership of Josiah, things would be cleaned up in, in Judah. They even started cleaning the temple of God, and they found the Word of God. Now, can you imagine that? Oh, come on, come on, friend, doesn't that just tell you the spiritual condition of the people where they were at, that during the reign of Josiah, they started cleaning the house of God, and they just happened to finally find the Word of God. Come on, what you think that people are preaching the Bible in churches today? No, I'm just telling you, that's the condition. That, that's where they were at when Josiah came in. And I want to say this, praise God, that when they did find the, the, the Bible that Jeremiah, or I'm sorry, Josiah rather, would humble himself to the Word of God. I said he would humble himself to the Word of God and he would lead the people back into following God and worshiping God and praise God for all of those things. And, and, but, but this revival would be short-lived as our text bears out. Though the temple was now repaired and the worship to Jehovah God was reestablished, I'm just saying to you that it wasn't long before the people were, were really just going through the motions of things and they were back to following their idols and the worship of Baal that was very prevalent before Josiah became the king. In fact, you can go back to, to chapter number 7 if you want in your spare time and you can read where God at the very beginning of the chapter He would send Jeremiah to the gates of, of, of the, uh, not, not just Jerusalem, but the gates of the temple to preach to those that were going in. Well, well, why? Because they were doing nothing, my friend, but going through the motions of it all. Their hearts were not right towards God. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this, is that that's not what God desires from His people. He doesn't desire that we would just go through the motions of it all. He wants our hearts and He wants everything within us to be in love with Him and serving Him and glorifying Him and worshiping Him. And in the end, we know this, that Judah never responds to the preaching and the cry of Jeremiah. And under the reigns of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, as the text bears out there in chapter 1, that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon would come. They would destroy uh, Judah and Jerusalem and take them into captivity just like Assyria did uh, to the nation of Israel uh, and all the other tribes there. Now, now, here's what I want you to grab a hold of. When you consider Judah, 
and God sending Jeremiah the prophet to warn them of the judgment that was coming and to call them back unto God. There, there, there are two, what I would say to you, two really wonderful principles that you and I need to grab a hold of as we begin to look at this. Number one, and, and, and I want you to catch this, God is a merciful and loving God. I, I'm just, listen, where you see judgment, I see mercy. What do, you, what do you mean, preacher? Well, it is the mercy of God to call Jeremiah and appoint him a prophet and send him to Judah to call the people back to God before this judgment comes. That tells me, no, 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 that tells me that God was much more interested in extending his mercy to his people than he was to extend his judgment to his people. Oh, come on, please grab a hold of that. Listen, as already, as already mentioned, this is why chapter 2 uh, begins the way that it does. And you and I are reading there. Listen, at the end of chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah that, that Babylon is coming. But, but chapter 2 begins with moreover. It's a continuation of the thought in that God is telling Jeremiah to go and cry in the ears of the people. Why? Because God wanted to extend His mercy and His forgiveness to His people. Wanted them to escape judgment. But I'm just telling you, He loved them. He cared about them. Oh, come on, friend. Do we not have to go to verse number 9 again where God says, I will plead with Him? That tells us that it wasn't just Jeremiah that was crying. It was God, my friend, begging and pleading and, and crying unto His people and saying, Come back to me. And he wanted to show them mercy and forgiveness and, and to restore them. Now, now listen, oh, come on. The reason, I, the reason I, I, I love this is because when you consider, when you consider the spiritual condition of the people, that's a powerful thought, is it not? Come on, that's a, that, that's a powerful thought. When you consider the sinfulness of their Baal worship, and their wickedness and their idolatry. Listen, you, you understand that Baal worship is devilish and demonic and, and, and evil. And, and listen, there was immorality and all, all of these things. And, and God is holy and, and righteous and, and sovereign. But boy, praise God, God is love. And God is merciful and is willing to forgive them. I, listen, I, they, I, it's just amazing. I, I think about Isaiah and how that during even his day they were calling evil good and good evil. And that's exactly where they were headed in, in, in or the, where they were already at uh, under, the, uh, under the ministry there of Jeremiah. I, listen, I, I don't think that time would permit me to paint a picture that would be clear enough to show the wickedness and the evil of people during this day. But yet God was still wanting, to, wanting them to do a spiritual U-turn and to come back to him. Well, that's merciful, isn't it? The point is, though, is it speaks to the mercy of God that He was willing to forgive them and to restore them. In fact, chapter 3 makes it very clear that Judah had committed spiritual adultery like a wife commits physical adultery. Yet God was still willing, even in that chapter, still willing to take them back and to forgive them and restore them. That's mercy. That's mercy. It's preacher, why we... Why we you know, bringing that out here. Well, <clears throat> well, doesn't that say to us that if you're lost this morning and needing, needing to be forgiven of your sin and to be saved, well, then really it doesn't matter what wickedness or evil is in your life. 
Come on, listen, God can and will show mercy. Come on, somebody say amen. Listen, it's much like what Paul would describe to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the earth who is the devil. But aren't you glad it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Come on, even when we were dead in sins, He hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Well, I don't know about you, but I, listen, I, boy, I'm sure thankful for God's mercy. Come on, let's, no, 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 let's, let's camp here for just a second because even one of our men this morning in prayer time was talking about a story that was mentioned at the Baptist Men's Recharge this past weekend and, and a young lady that had killed, had committed suicide and in her suicide note she said that, she said that she didn't believe that God could forgive her of her evil. Now, now I don't know, we don't know what evil that was, but I'm telling you there is no evil that is too evil that God cannot forgive. None. Well, I mean, preacher, you just don't. No, 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 no. You, you don't understand the mercy of our God. You don't understand the mercy and the love and the grace that He is willing to extend. Do you not understand that men like David committed adultery and had Uriah murdered? I'm just saying to you, if you're hearing more this morning, that means you're not in jail. Probably not done that. Come on, Paul persecuted the church and said that he was the chiefest of sinners. But yet they got saved. Oh, come on, friend. They had a walk with God and they knew God and they spent, they were forgiven of their sin. I, I Listen, so I'm just saying to you this morning that no matter who you are or what you've done, you need to know that God's mercy is readily available and He'll forgive you and save you right where you are at this morning. Well, listen, even, even us this morning that are saved, I listen, maybe not going in the spiritual direction that we should be going. Well, I'm telling you, that tells us that, that if we'll make a U-turn on life's highway, so to speak, and begin to go back unto God and get right with God and seek Him, that tells you and me, doesn't it? That He'll forgive us and, and He'll restore us and, and, and give us a right fellowship with Him that we've not had in quite some time. Oh, absolutely it does. You... I don't, I, listen, I, I don't mean to camp out here so long, but I do mean to camp out here so long. Because I, you can't help but to think about Isaiah and that wonderful passage in, in Isaiah. And you think about Isaiah chapter 1 and how it begins to describe the wickedness of Israel and, and compares them to Sodom and, and Gomorrah to just, if you will, illustrate their evil and their immorality. But in Isaiah 55, he says this in verses 6 and 7. He says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. There's that U-turn. Come on, there's that U-turn. Let, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, listen to this, for He will abundantly pardon. You know what that means? That means to completely forgive. And you think to yourself, man, oh man, oh man, how in the world can God forgive and abundantly pardon and show mercy? Well, if you keep reading, He explains it because that's verses 6 and 7. And then in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55, He says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, come on, I, I know that we use those verses oftentimes to explain the work of God among men. And while that may be true, His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. My friend, that is in the context of God extending His mercy to His people. Aren't you glad His thoughts are not your thoughts? Well, I'm telling you, He's not thinking, He doesn't, listen, He's not thinking about your sin the way you're thinking about your sin. You're thinking he can't forgive you. And listen, God's thinking, oh, listen, I love you and I want to forgive you. You need to come to me. Listen, and his ways are not your ways. And, and our, praise God for that. And listen, when he forgives, he completely forgives. And is cast as far as, uh, as the east is to the west, never to be remembered anymore. Whew. Well, I'm telling you, God's mercy is available. I mean, even Jeremiah shows us that. You think about the book of Jeremiah, and it's a book of judgment. Well, yeah, that may be true, but it's also a book of mercy. Because God, I mean, listen, you could go to countless passages in Jeremiah and see where God is calling them, and, and this is what He desires for them, that they would come back to Him, and that they would get right with Him. He is constantly saying throughout the book, I love you, I care about you, I want to show mercy to you, but you've got to come back to me. In fact, I'd even say this, that brings you to the second thought here in the principle. This process of revival and what you and I are getting ready to begin next Sunday. Boy, I'm telling you, listen, listen, that process starts with us. I said it starts with us. You, you often, and I, and I know people have heard me explain this, but I'm going to do it again anyways. But there are, there are two thoughts of, 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 two schools of thought, if you will, about Revival, and one of those is this, is that God will send revival when He gets ready. It's almost like He's up there in heaven just dangling it over us. And I, listen, I, I got to be honest with you, that, I, I think that that type of thinking really puts God in a wrong light. Because I, I'm just telling you that, that's, if you look at the Scriptures, that's, that's not our God at all. That, that doesn't, Come on, that doesn't line up with a God who would call a prophet and send him to the people of God because he wants to show mercy. Just doesn't line up. Is anybody getting? Well, you, you should have drank more coffee like I did. I mean, that's... But here's the second thought, and really I believe it's one that's more shaped by biblical principle and even in our text, but that's this, that revival begins with us seeking the Lord. But friend, our, our text bears this out. Again, God is pleading with His people to, to repent and to come to Him. In other words, watch this. He has already made His move in His Word and in His working in the life of Jeremiah. See, now the ball is in the court of God's people to respond. Just like it's in our court to respond. Hello? Well, come on, Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Did anybody get this? Come on, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. See, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and, and will heal, heal their land. See, revival isn't something that the man of God brings in his pocket when he comes. It's not. 
nor is it something that God dangles over our head. In fact, I would even say this, nor is it about the lost getting saved. Really, that's a result of revival. Revival is this, when God's people, I said when God's people, the saved, humble themselves and realize, realize that they're in spiritual apathy and going in a wrong direction and they need God in their life and they turn from their nominal Christianity and they see God. Then, did you catch that? Then will I hear from heaven. Sure glad he hears. There's that mercy again. Come on, there's that mercy again. Is anybody getting this? And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's, that's what I need. I'd hope so. Some of you are like, nah, I'm good. I hope that's not your spirit this morning. I hope we'd all say, man, that's what I need. So then the question then becomes, well, so how do we get there? I mean, listen, I, I, want, I, I want the Lord. I want to seek the Lord. I, I, want to get, I want to get to that place where I'm making that spiritual U-turn in my life. And, and, I'm, and I'm taking advantage of the mercy of God and drawing nigh unto Him. And when I draw nigh unto Him, He'll draw nigh unto me. So, so how do I do that? Well, I believe that's really what our text shows us. In fact, let, 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 me, let me just point out some things to you. And really, I think this will probably go a little quicker than what you might think. But then again, maybe not. Well, what are you here for? What, what are you? Look, look at verses 1 through 3. and now Notice some things here that, that happen. Really, what I would call this is the, the remembrance of God here. Look at verse number 1. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, and the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the, in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. And I, listen, so, so this is Jeremiah. We know he sent with the word of God to cry in the ears of Jerusalem. And the first thing that God says in order to try and get their spiritual attention is this, is that he remembers, he says, he remembers how some things used to be between him and Israel. Now, I, I know this, and I think that those of us that have been, you know, studying our Scripture and our Bible, and we would understand the history of the nation of Israel, then I think we would all agree this morning that Israel has, well, she's like any other nation in this sense, She's always had her issues. But there were also those times where their spiritual compass, if you will, was pointed in the right direction. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I think of the days of Joshua, and we're preaching through on, on Sunday nights and, and uh, looking at that. And boy, I, 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 I'm just telling you, after preaching through the life of Moses and now getting into the Joshua generation and you begin to contrast those two, I'm just telling you, those are two very different generations where the generation of Moses murmured and, and complained and, and griped and God chastened them and dealt with them. You begin to find something very different towards God in the Joshua generation that they were very obedient and willing to trust God by faith and they would cross over the Jordan River and into the promised land and God would give them victory because of it. Now, I, no, 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 I, I realize, I realize Achan... 
and in the sin that was in the camp. But even then, but even then, they are going to deal with that sin and they are going, going to go on towards victory. Boy, I think about the, the, the times of David when God would call a man after his own heart to rule Israel and in the days of, of Solomon and, and the great king, if you will. And I, no, again, I, there, there were certainly issues back in those days. David and, and Bathsheba, we already mentioned it. And Solomon had his wives that would, that would draw his heart away from God but but even during those days I'm just telling you, that was if I could say it like this that was the spiritual apex of Israel right. when they were at their their height if you will of not just wealth and 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 all of that and the expansion of the kingdom I'm talking about the blessings of God and the glory of God and the power of God and the worship of God the temple being built and Solomon ascending up to the temple and all of the people watching the glory and the majesty that was given to our great God well, I'm telling you, I mean, it's like, that's, I'm just, listen, if I could say it like this, that's exactly what God intended to take place among His people. But when you get to where we are, and Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, that's not what's happening. The people have gone off the rails, if we could say it like this, and they've ran after Baal, and idolatry and all of those things. And so in order for God to, if we could say it like this, get their spiritual attention, He says, you know, I, I, I remember how some things used to be between me and you. In fact, look at what He says there in verse number 2. He says, he says go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. The kindness of thy... You know what that's talking about? It's talking about fellowship. It's talking about a closeness that God and, and Israel used to have when they were younger in their, in their youthful days. And in fact, notice at the end of verse number 2, he goes on to say this. He, he says, When thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land, in a land that was not sown. So he talks about how they followed him out of Egypt and into the wilderness as they headed... To, to the promised land. And again, they weren't perfect, but they were dependent upon God for everything. God, we got to have some manna. Come on, God supplied. God, we need you to keep our shoes from not being worn. God supplied. Come on, they probably had Under Armour sandals. And there was a pillar of fire by night, pillar of cloud by day. Pretty good to have that shade out there in the wilderness, in the desert. Somebody say amen. You know, I, I, can, uh, I can remember when my kids were smaller. And you'd come in from work, and the kids would all get excited. Woo, daddy's home! And they'd run through the house and grab your leg and hug on you, and it's not that way anymore. Actually, I, I, tell you, I, I, I take that back. I came in yesterday from the men's recharge, and I walked in the door there of the church, and Natalie and Madison and Emily were here, and there was Emily standing out there, and she had a big grin on her face and just waiting for me to come through so she'd give me a big hug. 
And I thought, man, that's awesome. That'll help a fellow right there. And then I came in, and my big daughter, Madison, Amen. 23, came over and gave her dad a hug. I was, that'll help a fellow right there. Well, what a blessing. Well, when they're small, though, they're dependent on mom and dad, aren't they? Well, it's even, you know, and I, and I know, again, they're not perfect, but they tend to have an ear that's, that's obedient when mom and dad tell them things to do. And there's that sweet closeness and fellowship when they crawl up into your lap and, and just sit right there and you can snuggle with them and cuddle with them and, and talk with them. And they just, they just sit there and they're just, and it's just, Emily got up in my lap the other night and we were watching a show and she just laid right there and just content and still and I'm like, I, can't, I like this. Can we hit the pause button on life? Because if you know anything about kids, as I do, that tends to change when it's, you know, as they grow up. And in some cases, we would say this, that's pretty normal. That's how it should be, that they should get to a place where they're not dependent upon us. And Well, and I'm, I'm totally okay with my six foot three, 200-something pound son not sitting in my lap. <laughs> totally okay with that. But it's not normal. It's not normal for the child of God and their heavenly Father. It's not normal. When there begins to grow this lack of dependency and a lack of fellowship and closeness and a tender-hearted, a tender heart towards the Word of God and willing to follow Him. I said it's not, it's not normal. So God says this. I remember some things. I remember when there was some close fellowship between me and you. I remember when you depended upon me for everything. I remember when you came to me for all your needs. I remember when there was a tender heartedness when it came to you obeying my word. I, I remember how excited you were to be in church and how you would pray. And it was like my child sitting in my lap and us having fellowship one with another. What about it, Christian? You remember that? Is anybody getting this? Come on, do you remember? You remember how it used to be? Remember how it used to be when you first got saved? Come on, remember how it was when you first got saved and, and how you just loved being in God's Word and, and it didn't matter what God said to do. You just, you, you loved Him and you wanted to obey Him and, and wanted to be in His will and you loved spending time with Him in prayer and you longed to be in His presence and strive for that. Sometimes it was just so good you didn't want to leave. You remember those times? You remember that? God does. In fact, he goes on and he says, he says this, he says, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, not just the kindness of thy youth, but the love of thine espousals. It actually has to do with Israel's love and fervency towards God when he first took them to be his wife. And God made a covenant with Israel and made them His people and brought them out of Egypt and, and delivered them from their bondage and He led them through the promised land. And Israel loved the Lord and followed Him. In fact, He says in verse 3 that Israel was holiness unto the Lord. That means this, they were separated and belonged to Him. 
and the first fruits of his increase, and all that, that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. What he's talking about is his provision for them and how they leaned upon him for his protection, and God took care of their needs. It's like they were in love like a young couple. You ever seen that? It's a sickening thing. They stare at each other with googly eyes. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you more. I love you most. I love you. Stop it. I remember we were at family camp one year, and this couple, when I was pastoring in Cassville, we used to go to family camp in the summer, and this couple had met at camp and, and ended up started courting and it was pretty serious, you know, and everybody kind of knew they were going to get engaged and all this stuff. And that's all they did the whole camp, all week. They just walked with each other up and down the camp. And I just sat with each other and talked with each other. It was like nobody else existed in the camp. There's like 250 people, and they didn't even care. I just wanted to mess with them. That's what I'm... And, and, you know, and I know, we go, yeah, 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 that, that, that is... A, but the truth of the matter is, if you're here this morning and you're married, you probably remember a time where you were like that with your spouse. I remember that when Natalie and I, we talk, I hate talking on the phone. I hate it. But when Natalie and I were dating, I didn't mind it at all. And we wouldn't even say anything. I just listened to her breathe. Is that Darth Vader on the other side? Just in love. You there? I'm still here. Okay, just checking. I'm going to wake up. It's in love, man, and you just wanted to be near one another and talk with one another. And there was that love and that fervency, and that's what God, that's what God's telling Israel. I remember how you used to be in love with me. And we were like this young couple, and I was your only one, and you didn't care about anything or anybody else. You, you were in love with me and wanted to be with me and wanted to follow me, and there was joy and excitement. There was fervency. You, you remember that? You remember that, Christian? You remember how you used to be in love with him like that? You remember, you remember how you used to not let anything or anyone get in between you and him? You remember that? Do you remember how it used to be when you would wake up in the morning... And instead of worrying about what was on Facebook or social media, you got in the book. Because he was preeminent in your life. And, and when it came to things like church, you didn't, you didn't let anything or anyone get in the way of that, man. And you were in your place Sunday morning and, and, and Sunday night and in Sunday school. You would even go to bed early on Saturday night and come in prayed and prepared up and and, and you, remember, you remember those times when the preacher would preach and probably messages very similar to this. And man, it would be hard and God would speak and God would work in your heart and you'd even come down to an altar and, and spend some time with God. And it really didn't matter if it was a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or any of those things because it wasn't about putting on airs or going through the motions or trying to be spiritual. You just wanted to worship and meet with God. You remember that? You remember that? Because God remembers that. That's what He's telling them. I remember when we used to be in love like that. And I, I remember when there was this closeness and this fellowship. But then, 
But then he begins to review really where, where they're at. Look at verse number 4. He says, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Israel, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, what, 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 what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? Where the previous verses recalled the past relationship between God and Israel, now we begin to see their current condition and where God remembered them and how it used to be, they didn't remember God at all. In fact, in verse number 5, God's basically asking if He's done something wrong that would explain why Israel has forsaken them. And again, as already mentioned, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, God doesn't do wrong. Yet Israel has left God and they've chastened after, they've chased after vanity, which means empty. And he's talking about the idolatry of Baal. Look at, or Baal, look at verses six and seven. He says, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through the land, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. In the midst of all of this mess with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, no one is saying this, wait a minute. How did we get here? What God brought us here? Nobody's saying that. Nobody's asking that. Who delivered us from Egypt and brought us into this promised land? Because I'll guarantee you this, it wasn't Baal. It was Jehovah God. And the greater thought here is that Israel's current condition was they had forsaken God and forgotten God. They had defiled His land. They had turned His temple into a place of abomination. And nobody is asking, hey, wait a minute. Where did this building come from? Where did we come from? How did we get here in the first place? Because if they'd asked that, the answer would have been Jehovah God. Reminds me of our country again, doesn't it? One that God has allowed us to win our liberty from England. Everybody's worried about the death of the queen and what's going on. I don't care. We won. And he's given, us, he's given us wisdom to have our liberties and freedoms. Come on, somebody say amen. I'm just telling you, friend. We, we, and the point is this, is that we used to cherish him and those things. We flourished as a nation and we saw people saved and churches planted and missionaries sent out. But now we've become a nation who's forsaken and forgotten our God. Somebody say amen. And the truth of the matter is we've become a country, listen to this, where other nations are now wanting to send their missionaries too. And we've thrown God out of the schoolhouse and out of the courthouse, and as a result, look at the chaos and the confusion in our day, and nobody is asking, hey, hey, wait a minute, how did we get here? Who, who, who got us here in the first place? Because I'm telling you right now, it wasn't through evolution. 
It was because his, our, our great God had His hand on this nation and He blessed this nation. But here's the thing. Now we become a people of idolatry and entertainment. And like Israel, I'm telling you, it makes God sick. It's an abomination. That's what the word means. But please catch this. Please catch this this morning. Listen to this. It's not just a nation as a whole. It's a people. More specifically, it's God's people. Look at what he says in verse number 8. He says, The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after the thing, after things that do not profit. See, even the spiritual leadership of Israel had gotten so far away from God that they too weren't asking the questions. And just as our country has done this, please catch this this morning, the churches throughout this land have done this as well. They've forsaken God for idolatry. Baal worship, entertainment of men, worldly music, ear-tickling preaching. But before we start thinking too high and mighty of ourselves, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't think it's just them out there that are doing it. I think it's God's people that can be in churches just like this one and doing it. You know what the only difference is? Is that they bring their idols into the church. We just keep ours at home and run to them after church is over with. And while we're here, all we do is go through the motions of everything. Years ago when I first got into ministry and I started pastoring Bible Baptist Church in Cassville, Missouri, there was a dear man that was in evangelism and who helped our church out tremendously. And so I'd asked him to kind of stay with us for a month or two and he didn't have anything on his calendar and we just tried to be a blessing to him and, and uh, we became good friends through that. And I'll never forget one morning and, and uh, we were getting, I was getting ready to take him out to breakfast. And, and uh, so we met at the church parking lot there and, and I jumped in the car. And I had, just, I had just gotten through with my devotions that morning. And boy, it, just, it was one of those devotional times where it just like the words jumped off the page. And it's, it was like God was speaking to you and dealing with you. And, and it was just a blessed time. And, and I can remember that and, and spending some time in prayer with God and and I jumped in the car and, and I was just excited about the way God spoke that morning and we were headed to breakfast and I, I started telling him about my devotional time and the way God did that and, and all of those things. And he looked at me and he said, well, brother, it's good to hear you're doing your devotions. And I went, okay, what, what does that mean? Because doesn't every pastor do their devotions and walk with God? And so I asked him that. I said, well, what, what do you mean by that, brother? And he said, he said, well, he said, I was preaching a meeting one time and he gave the state or where it was at and I don't even remember where it was and it really doesn't matter. But he said, be a fact, he said, he said, just like you, I had had my devotions that morning and God spoke and it was just, I was just so encouraged and, and we were getting ready to get in the car and go eat breakfast and we got down in the car and, and he said, and I said, man, and I started talking about my devotional time to the pastor and the pastor looked at me and he said this, he said, he said, that's great, brother. He said, but I don't, I don't really do those things anymore. And I, I just thought to myself, and in fact, I said to him, how, how does a guy preach like that? 
How does a guy stand up before the people of God and preach and not have a personal walk with God in his life? And and the only thing I can conclude is, is that the man of God can go through the motions of the things of God just like anybody else can. But I'll tell you this, and I'll promise you this, you're not going to have the power of God on your ministry if you're not walking in the presence of God in your personal life. But the reason that I'm sharing that with you is because of this, what that man confessed about his own lack of a personal walk with God really describes the majority of Christianity in America. And dare I say, probably the majority of God's people, even in independent, fundamental, devil-hating, mission-minded, King James-only Baptist churches like ours, that we get up, listen, we stay up late on Saturday night watching the garbage and junk of this world, and then we get up on Saturday morning and come to the house of God. We've not spent time in God's Word. We've not spent time in prayer And yet we come in and we go out and it's like we're going through the motions of these things. And I'm just saying to you that maybe somebody ought to step back and go, hey, why are we here? Who brought us here? Well, let me help you with that. If you're saved this morning, that's who brought you here. Come on, it was God that worked in your life and that saved you from your sin. Somebody say amen. And the same God that worked in your life then is the same God that still wants to work in your life right now. But you've got to get to this place, my friend, where you stop going through the motions of it all and stop letting the apathy in your spiritual life steer you and make a U-turn and come back to the one that worked in your life then because the purpose and the intent of God's people being here this morning is to worship Him and serve Him and be in love with Him. And if that's not where you're at, then you're not right with God. Period. So God, after dealing with that, I love it how He always gives us what will help us. So He begins to correct them. What I would maybe say are the requests of God. In fact, He he gives them a couple of things for them to do. Here's what he says. Look at, look at verse number 10. And of course, you got verse number 9 there, boy. Don't want to miss that. I'll plead with you. I'm begging you. You know, if God's begging, I think it'd be good for us to go ahead and answer that one. Don't walk out of here today and Him still begging. And here's what he says. He says in verses 10 and 11, he really, he says this, won't you compare yourself to other nations? Look at what he says. He says, he says, for pass over the isles of Chittim and, and see, and send unto Kedar, and, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Watch this. He says, hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. You know what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying go, go and look at other nations who have served false gods, and, and listen to this. And their gods are, are they, they are deaf. They, they don't hear. They, they don't have hands to, to work. They don't have eyes to see, mouths to speak. Come on, somebody say amen. They're just false gods, dead gods. And yet those nations haven't changed their gods. 
But Israel serves the one true God. And God has delivered them out of bondage and parted the Red Sea and destroyed their enemies, brought them through the wilderness and then brought them through the Jordan River and give them victory in the promised land. I'm just saying to you, God's done so much for Israel. But yet they left Him. And what God's saying is, well, I believe this. Number one, He's saying this. Logically, that doesn't even make sense. But the other thing I think he's saying is this, is that if God has done the things that God has done for them, you would think that the end result would be that they would be closer to God. Not forgotten Him and forsaken Him. It's really how it ought to be for us. You know what it amazes me that you see these Muslims that, that bank on Allah, which is not God. It's not Jehovah God of the Bible. That's right. And they have their, their Messiah, Muhammad, which is still dead and in the ground. But you know what's amazing is that they'll still bow down on their carpets and worship five times a day or however many times it is that they do. And boy, they're very zealous for their false gods. And you got the... Jehovah Witnesses that'll, boy, they'll just go door to door. It's so bad now that when the Baptists actually finally get out and do it and knock on the door, somebody answers and says, I don't want it, this Jehovah Witness stuff. No, 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 I'm from the Baptist church. Well, what I'm trying to say to you is this, is that there's people out there that are zealous for their false gods, and yet you can't even find people that'll get on fire for the one true God. And be in love with Him and close to Him. I mean, after all, He saved you. Amen. He's forgiven you of all your sin. Right. And you know what else He says? He says, be fact, he says, look, he says, here's something else I want you to do. Look at what He says in verse, verse number 12. He says, be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid, and be very desolate, saith the Lord. He said, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here's what he says. He's, okay, so everybody watching this? So here's God. He's the fountain of living water. You know what that means? I mean, it's just constantly springing up. I mean, it's just this huge fountain. You ever seen anybody get in a fountain? Jump around and woohoo! Probably getting down and getting all the quarters out of the bottom. I don't. But he says, you, you've left. Now watch this. Please catch this. I know I'm running a little bit long, but let's not put a time limit on what God wants to do here. So that's part of the problem right there. Well, if you're not done in 30 minutes, that's it. Stop it. You need this. Because here's what he said. You've left the fountain of living waters, and you've hewn out cisterns. And what a cistern is, what what that's talking about is that's talking about, it's talking about taking a a hammer and a chisel and carving out in a, in, a, in a piece of stone or a piece of rock is carving out and digging out a hole so that it'll hold water for you. Okay, that's what a cistern is. Now watch this, but he doesn't say just you've hewn out cisterns. He says you've hewn out broken cisterns. Do you know what that means? That means that as they were hewing that thing out, that it cracked or, or something, you know, something happened 
And so what happens now is this, is that they're running over to this water and getting it and coming back and they're putting it in that huge, that, that cistern right there and then they start getting ready to use it but the water's running out the bottom so they got to go back and they dip their bucket in, bring it back, put it in the cistern and it keeps draining out and keeps draining out and keeps draining out and they're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and they're never getting satisfied and what God's saying is this, is that I'm the fountain of living waters and if you'll just get in this, you'll have have everything that you that you desire and need in your life. That's what he's saying. <laughs> I don't. I, I I I find it hard to read that and not think about the woman at the well. In John chapter four, and she's bringing out that bucket in the middle of the day. Well, that's why because the lifestyle that she lived, and the Lord Jesus says. Says to her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Talking about the, the well there, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It just seems like, whether it be the woman at the well or right here in Jeremiah, what God's saying is this. That which our soul longs for is staring us right in the face. And it's not the bale stuff of this world. It's Him. It's Him. And the only way you're going to get what you need is if you'll heed what God gave to Jeremiah this morning. And make that spiritual U-turn and come back to the fountain of living water. Let's all stand.